The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we record a new podcast late Wednesday night on January 18th, 2023. As there's some things to talk about with the Chicago White Sox, Jim wrote an excellent column on SoxMachine.com looking at the state of the bullpen without Liam Hendricks, which we'll have a further discussion about that topic. Aloy Jimenez, top 10 left fielder? Question mark? According to MLB Network, yes. We'll talk about Aloy Jimenez being the top 10 left fielders in Major League Baseball, but not the new left fielder the Chicago White Sox signed and Andrew Benatendi. But to kick off this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, I ran a Twitter poll out there, and so many of you participated, and that is where we're going to start this show, Jim. And the Twitter poll was pretty straightforward because here we are in the middle of January, and Adam Duvall is signing with the Boston Red Sox. I already made my pitch as a fourth outfielder. The White Sox should Mm -hmm. go sign Adam Duvall. They didn't do that. He's going to Boston. It doesn't look like the White Sox are going to be signing a second baseman. And the best trade asset that they had was Liam Hendricks, who right now is fighting cancer. So it doesn't look like there's a lot of irons in the fire, per se, for the White Sox on the trade front. Have the White Sox made any trades this offseason? No. Wow. So much for the trademark. No, actually, Gregory Santos. Gregory Santos. Who? Kidding. Gregory Santa for Cade McClure. That was their one trade. That's right. <laughs> I, I thought he was a. I thought he was a waiver. I, I treated him as like a waiver claim, and no, he was he was a trade. Okay, I thought that was a waiver move. So, so yes, the White Sox have made one trade. So, so much of the the trade market being more fruitful uh, than free agency, which was the idea to start the season, but. The White Sox payroll, as we mentioned in our last podcast episode, is at $180 million. And for the very get-go, especially with the reported James Figueroa of The Athletic, that seemed to be 
the budget for the White Sox. I didn't want to buy it, Jim. I know you didn't want to buy it either. That if they're going to maintain mm-hmm. payroll, that's going to be a number above $190 million. So the poll that I put out on Twitter, which again, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. The Twitter poll I wrote, currently the Chicago White Sox 26-man payroll is right around $180 million. It's likely that free agent spending is done and any additional moves would come via trade. Based on the moves that have happened, what grade would you give the White Sox front office this offseason? We had over 2,300 votes on Twitter participate in the poll. The most common grade was a C at 54%. The second most common grade was a D at 34%. Less than 1% that participated in the poll must have been Chicago White Sox employees uh, as they gave the White Sox an A for this offseason. Bob Nightingale. <laughs> Bob Nightingale. Uh, Jim, when you look at this type of poll, let, let's start with your reaction to those that participated in the poll. Are you surprised by the results? Uh, no, I, I think I, you know, and, and I'll reveal my final grade in a second to keep people on the edge of their seats. Um, but I oscillated between C and D, so I would hope that uh, those two finish in uh, win in place between them. And so, yeah, that sounds, uh, more, more or less right. And then like a and B getting what 12% roughly of the vote total also seems about right when accounting for the electorate being white Sox fans versus like, you know, a panel of, um, you know, stat cast employees and fan graphs writers and such like you get, you know, fans who are, you know, excited about certain aspects like Andrew Benintendi is a decent signing worth you know, looking forward to. So, you know, I can see that weighing the, uh, you know, optimism for a certain segment of fans. So that struck me as a pretty, you know, if, if I had to put percentages on each vote, it would be kind of like MLB trade rumors, arbitration projections in which maybe I wouldn't get exactly everyone right individually, but between A and B and C and D, that's probably the neighborhood I would have ended up in, which is like, you know, roughly 10% or so for A and B and the rest between C and D. If you had F, that would, you know, I know Twitter polls only have, uh, you know, four slots, so you can't put F, but I'd be curious, like how much, you know, the, the D votes were Fs. Should I do that moving forward, Jim? Should I just eliminate the A grade and just go B, C, D, F? Maybe for this one. Yeah, or B or higher or something like that. Like that way, you know, you get the the, the noise. If you can sense like the noise is going to be at the top versus uh, at the bottom, then yeah, maybe. Maybe that's a case where it would be A, B would be the first poll option and then C, D, F. Yeah, I just, I can never gauge because the first immediate responses I got on Twitter where, where is the F grade? <laughs> yeah. All right, and you just have those types of White Sox fans that, that hate this off season. <laughs> like you say, that hate the White Sox, White Sox fans who hate the White Sox, which I get it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the, the tweets that we got in, in response to the poll, Mark Richter wrote to us, it's so hard to pinpoint a grade for me. On one hand, they quote unquote, super solved a position of not great need, but did nothing for the two positions that have been huge needs for years. I just don't understand why it seems the front office works backwards on their list of needs. 
any insight or any possible words of wisdom for White Sox fans like Mark that they understand the benefits of Andrew Benatendi being signed. They get why Mike Clevenger's replacing Johnny Cueto in the starting rotation. But in the middle of January of 2023, in a contention mm-hmm. window, glaring hole in right field, glaring hole in second base, how come the White Sox don't address these needs? Yeah, I mean, like when it comes to Benintendi, the best case you can make for Benintendi solving a problem of need is saying, well, he kicks Aloy Jimenez to DH most of the time. Uh, that does not replace Jose Abreu, but if you have Andrew Vaughn at first base in his natural position and Aloy Jimenez at DH, and you have a good left fielder, uh, yeah, and, and we had this discussion before, you might call him decent. You know, I'll call him good, like left fielder in Andrew Benintendi. You know, perhaps that's enough to say like, well, we've indirectly replaced the uh, production of Jose Abreu with Andrew Benintendi. It just required shoving Jimenez to DH. And that's, I would give them like a half point for that. Like it doesn't directly solve position need, but first base slash DH was going to be a problem, or at least, you know, um, was going to see a loss of projected production because Abreu did factor into those two positions between, you know, him being there and him moving somebody else to DH or left field. So, you know, they did get around to it, kind of. But when it comes to the other positions, second base, right field, I would even throw in catcher as a position of maybe not great need, but a position to where like, if Yasmani Grandal's back acts up again, like, whoa, like <laughs> they're, they're in trouble in terms of like, either they have to DFA him or like, you know, it comes down to Zavala and Perez being able to um, cover a position by themselves, which may not be the case. You know, that's, I wouldn't call it a position of need. I would, I would put it behind second base, uh, maybe even with right field because Oscar Colas does represent an actual upgrade potentially in right field based on what they've thrown out there before. But it is like a, it does feel like a time bomb. You know, kind of like you're in those volcano stories, like this volcano could sever California and, you know, the West coast of, you know, Oregon and Washington from the United States. And like, when's it going to happen? I don't know. It could be tomorrow. It could be uh, 25 years from now. It could be in the, you know, two centuries away. Like, we don't know, but it kind of feels like that kind of story. Like every time I look at that position, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, like just uh, yeah, yeah. I know Grandal is doing everything he can, you know, human, humanly possible, to try to reverse the aging process. But you know, it, it's he's a catcher. He's had injuries to his knees and back that doesn't seem good. So um, I'm very suspicious of that position. And maybe Zavala will be okay, but that one's tough too. Off season is gone. Like you can indirectly solve one position, like say with Ben and Tandy being there, but. It felt like they could have done more, like add a guy at second base, add a guy like Adam Duvalish in center field, so that if Luis Robert has another significant injury again, it's not completely compromising the outfield integrity. You know, rather than having Colos have to play center or you know some kind of mishmash of Larry Garcia being more prominent again, like it could get messy. Jake Marisnik's there, but like you know he's he might be done. Like. That would have been nice. Same thing with second base. Like, and, and who knows? Elvis Andrews is still out there. Like, I wouldn't completely count out like a reunion there because it did really seem to work out, you know, in terms of just how well he played. But just if the offseason is over right now, like active grade, this is the point where we've, we've real our grades. But just, you know, I, 
it feels like C is too high and D is too low, but I think like D plus is where I would end up because Benintendi does help you know, a lot with the player he is and what the White Sox need. Almost gets them to C by himself, I think, but just the lack of activity elsewhere is, um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to give him a C of any kind. I know you're not a betting man unless you're at the racetrack, Jim. Yep. I am a betting man. Not many of our podcast listeners are betting folks, but some are. And I'm only bringing this up because the odds makers are not convinced after the White Sox offseason to date, they have done enough to be considered one of the top contenders in the American League to win the pennant. And according to one sports book, a very popular one, DraftKings, they haven't done enough to pass the Cleveland Guardians in the 2023 projections. So when it comes to the American League Central, the Guardians have the best odds of winning the American League Central at plus 140. So if you put 10 bucks on the Guardians, you win $14 in profit. The White Sox are close. They're at plus 180. So you put 10 bucks on the White Sox, you win $18 in profit. The Twins are at plus 280. World Series odds. Last year, the White Sox were like 9 to 1, 10 to 1. Mm -hmm. They're 30 to 1. And to win the American League pennant, last year, the White Sox were like 5 to 1. They're now 16 to 1 to win the American League pennant. So we're already getting early vibes from one critical area when it comes to 2023 projections. We're still waiting for the Pakoda projections to be released by Baseball Prospectus. We're still waiting for Fangraphs to release their ultimate projections for the standings for the upcoming season. And those are the two big ones. And then I would consider the sports books a, a third one as well, because obviously they have their own projection model as well to come up with their over under for season total wins, which I haven't seen yet, but in 2022, it was 91 and a half wins for the white Sox going into the season. I can't imagine the win total being that high. So mm-hmm. with one out of the big three, they're not convinced so far, Jim, in the middle of January, 2023, that the white Sox have done enough to pass the guardians or do, should be considered the division favorites over the guardians and they don't think much of the White Sox chances of winning the American League pennant or the World Series. Man, what a great feeling as a White Sox fan entering this contention window of 2023. And you can't even convince the odds makers. Yeah, you should throw money on the White Sox. No, they're going to give the White Sox lawn odds because that's how they view them right now. A lawn shot to win the American League pennant. So when I look at this grade, I'm with you as well. Like a CD, a C minus D plus, I, I think is adequate. Bet attendee is nice. I'm not sold on Clevenger. Mm-hmm. I am really concerned about second base. We mentioned a couple times I have more confidence in Oscar Colas at right field uh, to address that hole that at second base. But you make a really good point about the catching position, Jim, and how that's like the White Sox fault line. The, and the, was it the San Andreas fault, which will break California into the Pacific Ocean? Mm-hmm. If Grandal gets hurt, your catching duo is Sevi Zavala and Carlos Perez. Is that good enough to be to overtake the Cleveland Guardians after they sign Mike Zanino and the Minnesota Twins who signed Christian Vasquez? And you consider the Royals have Salvador Perez? Like, quickly... Quickly, if Grandal gets hurt, the White Sox arguably may have the worst catching unit within the division, Jim. And 
I think you sold me. Uh, sold me. That is a scary thought. Yeah, I'm trying to think who the. <laughs> I don't have a clear concept of who the Tigers have. I know it's is it Haas, and then I know Tucker Barnhart has moved on, so he's not the guy anymore. Yeah. So it may be better than yeah. whatever the Tigers have. Yeah, <laughs> not a high yeah, bar, correct. Folks. But yeah, just so at least yeah, Eric Haas is their starting catcher now, and then Donnie Sands is their backup right now. Uh, so have yeah. Don, not Donnie Lucy, Donnie Sands, uh, but okay. I was gonna yes. say old friend alert. <laughs> it's like the the unholy uh, uh, offspring of Donnie Lucy and Jerry Sands, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's you know when you look at it that way, like if you look at only the player acquisitions, and and for this grade, you probably are at least weighing that you know ninety percent. Like you would say, like you know, there's a there's a good argument for an F. You know, if this is their contention window and they're spending less money, and that factors into the off season, and They've left multiple positions unsolved and they may not have replaced Jose Abreu and they may not have replaced Johnny Cueto. What exactly have they done here? When it comes to the offseason work itself, that might be an F. Uh, the one thing I think keeping it out, out of F range for me is that I do count Pedro Grafal as part of the offseason because in the offseason plan project, we you know that was a big part of the process was hiring a manager and that was a discussion and that was you know a big part of that. And I consider that part of the team's decision-making process. And everything with that, you know, we don't know how, how Grafal is going to be, but everything behind that has been good. Like, you know, they, they interviewed a full slate of candidates. They've reworked their entire hitting apparatus. Uh, they, they brought in Sam Mondry Cohen, who we talked about last time, to try to give the White Sox lineup a uh, somebody who can mainline analytics into the lineup card, basically, you know, the way that, you know, they have a guy, uh, Rod Larson, on the pitching side, who does the same thing. And so, like, they're making the necessary strides. They're well behind. So it's not like, you know, they're giving you know, special credit for it, but at least they're doing what they've needed to do for a couple of years now in the front office and in, you know, the managerial coaching staff segment of the roster. And so like that keeps it from being an F to me, but when it comes to the, you know, talent on hand, you're sure counting on a whole lot of turnarounds from a whole lot of players who have suffered a whole lot of recent injury trauma. And, you know, the, Injuries tend to beget injuries, and and you know the uh, injuries tend to be the the best indicator of future injuries. Just when it comes to just trying to project playing time, that's what goes into playing time projections. Is has a player been hurt before? If so, then dock him X percent on his plate appearances and games and innings pitch. So I mean, they're counting a lot of guys playing probably at their what would you say seventieth percentiles for playing time between like you know not only Jimenez and uh, you know, Robert and Anderson, but you're also like Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, and guys who have been banged up in the past. Clevenger is another one. Kopek. So like they're counting on a lot of things going right that have not gone right for a year and a half now. Uh, and you're counting on Pedro Grafal undoing all the damage from Tony La Russa and being good himself, not just like average, not just replacement level manager, but like an asset of some kind. Uh, you know, not maybe not Terry Francona good, but like helpful. Somebody you don't think about replacing. And that's a lot of pressure for a guy who's never done that job before. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the good thing is the White Sox tend to not fire anybody aside from Rick Renteria. But, you know, as we talked about this, the way they've structured their management hiring and their front office hiring uh, and the rest of the coaches makes me think like, you know, if this doesn't go well, uh, the players are going to be the ones to go and not the coaching staff because 
there are, there's a whole lot of infrastructure they've changed to try to to right this ship. And I think if the ship doesn't go, they'll just save the crew and let the ship sink, basically. And uh, or actually, or the yeah, I guess it'd be like, or I guess the equivalent would be if you treat the crew as the players, then they throw all the players overboard to you know, have enough weight to get it back. Uh, <laughs> enough weight to get it back to shore. <laughs> Depends on you know what you consider the crew. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of what we're looking at here. Is like they, they it really seems like they believe in the coaching staff. They believe what they've done there, and if players don't get it right, they just might have to get new players. James Fegan had a was participating in a roundtable of writers in the American League Central. Uh, Dan Hayes participated for the Minnesota Twins, old friend. And uh, one of the things that James wrote in the round table that I literally LOL'd in real life regarding the counting on the injuries, uh, James Vegan wrote, if there's one thing I know, it's that a team that got mega injured last season definitely won't just go and get major injured the next season all over again. Folks, that simply doesn't happen. <laughs> and I, I and I love when people analyze 2022 and they make the excuse that the White Sox dealt with a lot of injuries last season. They dealt with a lot of injuries in 2021 and they're able to mm-hmm. overcome that. And we talked about why they overcame that because they had some lucky <laughs> fluky performances to, to bail them out in the first half of the season. You're me Mercedes. Yeah, you're me Mercedes. Like a- the- I remember <laughs> like writing about it and then talking about it saying like, what would happen if you're mean Mercedes April uh, and early May did not exist. And I think the 2022 season was an answer to that. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Cause May was their best month and they didn't have a I think Robert got hurt in that month of 2021 magical shortly got hurt as well. I think Tim Anderson got hurt in that month as well. Mm-hmm. You know, two good weeks of Jake lamb, a couple of good weeks of Brian Goodwin, you know, helps you float until everybody gets healthy again towards the the end of 2021 season. But alas, everybody knows that story. So Jim's got the White Sox at a at a D plus. Uh, I'll be a little bit more optimistic. I'll give the White Sox, I guess, a C minus, but we're right there in that same group. And Rick Hahn would argue that the offseason is not done. But if you're not going to spend money, your closer, one of your best trade assets, is now fighting cancer. Baseball America's top 100 list just came out. Colson Montgomery's in the top 40. Oscar Colas is the 89th ranked prospect, so he's in the top 100. You're not going to trade Montgomery. You don't have the appetite to do that. You need Colas to start in right field. So you really don't have the prospects. And right now, teams are not making these prospect-heavy trades. All the trades that we've been seeing have been pretty much major leaguers for major leaguers. I don't know how the White Sox improve their team from now to spring training. Maybe they could approve it again during spring training, but to use a quote that Rick Hahn has said in the past, Jim, I think the White Sox team is on the floor and this is who they are going a month into spring training along with the minor league signings that they have made with veterans to compete for spots, in the 26 man roster. I just don't see on how the White Sox approve this roster in the next month. It's funny you you mentioned that 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 um, quote from James Fegan about like how super injured teams uh, you know never have that happen again. And I think he was talking about the Twins or like they're they're talking they're clearly talking about each other. But like it's amazing how the Twins and White Sox are on parallel tracks, which is why this Carlos Correa re-signing is is, is super fascinating because like yeah, it does represent a a real 
departure in strategy from what the White Sox have done, it might they might end up in the same place, like not making enough of a difference. And like, you know, who knows what happens with Korea, but like it is a attempt to like, let's see how far Korea can help carry this really banged up roster that needs help elsewhere. And like I've been watching uh, Aaron Gleeman on Twitter just watch uh, starting pitchers come off the board that they needed and watching right-handed outfielders come off the board that they needed. Like AJ Pollock went to Seattle, like oh, the, the twins could have afforded that salary. And Adam Duvall goes to Boston and he's like, well, the twins could have afforded that salary. So like there are a lot of parallels between the two organizations and they are kind of dealing with similar things of just uh, painful rebuilds um, stalling out uh, or at the risk of stalling out. And the twins have thrown like, clumps of cash at it the white Sox haven't but they're kind of in the same place and so uh, i really you know that, that's really the best argument for the white Sox is that the the twins are really as flawed as the white Sox are maybe even more flawed because rocco baldelli you know we talked about before i just don't really i don't believe in baldelli as a problem solver i think he's somebody you can help a good team win but not you know like terry francona i think can help a a mediocre team get to good whereas like you know baldelli i think he's he's as good as his team is, I think. And when things start going wrong, I don't think he's particularly adept at solving issues. I, I think Cleveland is just in the boat of like, oh, I hope these, you know, basically they have to hope like, oh, we don't have a clump of sophomore slumps that really drag us down, but that's really the best place to be. Like you're looking for, uh, yeah, the track rec records are short, but the, what they've done so far in the majors is really encouraging. And I think you'd rather be that team you know, nine times out of 10, uh, than like a team that has more money, but has really like, you're, you're scratching your head saying like, this could, this could collapse. It could. I, but right now the $90 million Cleveland guardians payroll is considered the American league central favorites over the $180 million payroll of the Chicago white Sox. Folks, it should be grounds for a firing or two, shouldn't it, it? It should. And everybody knows this. All White Sox fans know this. All those that cover the White Sox media know this. If this doesn't work, we know it's coming next year. It's blatantly obvious. If this does not work, there's no reason for the White Sox to be spending that much more than Cleveland if they can't win the division. So we know what's coming in 2024. So when we look at this offseason grade and we are just being very honest with everyone, we don't see another way for the White Sox if they're not going to spend more in free agency and they don't have the assets to make a trade. I don't know how this team improves. So right now we're walking into spring training with the White Sox at a C minus D plus offseason grade. And yeah, from the front office perspective, this is their regular season. That's not good enough. It's just not. Fingers crossed that the high rate of Pedro Grafal and the White Sox players have a chip on their shoulders and they perform a lot better than the front office has during this offseason to make 2023 a lot more enjoyable than 2022. But thanks to everyone again for participating in the Twitter poll. You can follow us on Twitter again at Sox Machine and you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh, but we're going to take a quick break here for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, Aloy Jimenez is a top 10 left fielder. And we look at the state of the White Sox bullpen with Liam Hendricks being out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, Jim, this caught me by surprise. We talked about MLB Network right now on MLB Now. They're doing their top 10 position breakdowns going into the 2023 season. We talked about first base and how it was a bit weird that the White Sox don't have anyone in the top 10 because Andrew Vaughn is moving back to his original position from college over to first base. It's too early to tell where he ranks, but we think that he's around 16th and 17th. Middle of the pack is a fair rating. Jose Abreu is the fourth ranked first baseman, according to MLB Network, for those that Want a little twist in the knife in the back uh, if you're missing Jose Abreu. But they went to the left fielders. And boy, Jim, like I said, this caught me by surprise. Aloy Jimenez, number 10 ranked left fielder in Major League Baseball. What do you make of Aloy Jimenez being the 10th ranked left fielder in Major League Baseball, Jim? Uh, just probably not updating all of their information. Like if we're talking about like Jimenez as an everyday left fielder who hadn't hurt himself like multiple times out there, like I could see it, you know, just him hitting well enough, like being bullish enough on his bat to say like he's top 10 uh, out there, but just, you know, given that the White Sox signed somebody to directly take that playing time away from him, Makes you know, it makes it hard to think like that. They just didn't think it through enough. They just uh, you know were thinking like uh, looking at last year's numbers and looking at last year's playing time and saying like, yeah, it's uh, you know, 
top 10 left fielder, but you know, right now the, uh, yeah, the hashtag, as I see at the bottom is hashtag top 10 right now. And right now he's not a left fielder. So they, if they said top 10, you can maybe say like, Oh, based on last year and who knows like what'll happen. But yeah, right now he is not a left fielder. He's a DH most of the time. Yeah. And Pedro Grafal made mention of that when asked about that particular position, when he introduced Andrew Benatundi in the press conference that Andrew Benatendi is the White Sox left fielder. So it was a bit of a surprise for me as I was waiting for the rest of the top 10 list. Andrew Benatendi is not in MLB Network's top 10 left fielders. That caught me by surprise. So I wanted to see on what could be possibly influencing this thinking for MLB Network, Javier Aloy Jimenez being their top 10 left fielders. So I went to fan graphs and I went to the steamer projections for 2023 and Aloy Jimenez has the seventh highest war projection for left fielders in major league baseball. Number one, Jordan Alvarez, not much of a left fielder himself. He goes out there from time to time. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Astros give him some starts, but he's mostly a DH for the Houston Astros. His projected war for 2023, according to Steamer, is five and a half. So if you're talking about someone who plays in left field almost every single day and is a left fielder, the best left fielder, according to Steamer, is Stephen Kwan with Cleveland, as they're projected at 3.6 war, followed by Corbin Carroll of the Arizona Diamondbacks and Christian Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers. And at least in the Steamer projections, number 10 is Andrew Benatendi. He cracks the top 10. Mm-hmm. At a 2.3 projected war for the upcoming season in between Aloy Jimenez and Andrew Benatendi, Kyle Schwarber, again, not much of a left fielder and uh, Tyler O'Neill of the St. Louis Cardinals. So we just talked about the off season grades for the Chicago White Sox. And of course their big off season move is signing Andrew Benatendi. Uh, when you look at this in hindsight, does that signing still make sense if the computer tells you that, hey, uh, Aloy Jimenez is projected to be more valuable than the guy you just gave $75 million to in left field? I still think it does based on the specific needs for this White Sox team, a lefty who can hit righties, a lefty who is a true outfielder that uh, you know does not make uh, or, or prevents both Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn from having to play out there. A guy who gets on base as his uh, you know strongest offensive asset and the power is a bonus, whatever power he has. So like it still makes sense. And looking at uh, Fangraph's uh, depth chart for left field, um, that's interesting in and of itself too, because Jordan Alvarez is top in, in left field, and, and the Astros are number one. The White Sox are tenth as a team, with Ben Intendi getting the bulk of the playing time. He accounts for 2.2 of the White Sox 2.8 wins above replacement in left field. Uh, but then you have some interesting cases like um, Masataki Yoshida for the Red Sox. He's uh, worth 3.5 wins above replacement, like you know, as you're coming from the uh, from Japan, and you know. That could be the case, or that could, you know, maybe be a, a, you know, kind of like a say a Suzuki type thing to where like, you know, he has an okay season, but needs time to acclimate to the major league pitching. Uh, It's not really a difference maker yet. Uh, They have Juan Soto in left field uh, with Fernando Tatis in right field uh, on fan grass step chart. So I think, you know, there's a case where like the Padres have to figure out who's playing left and uh, see how much playing time, uh, you know, 
that guy gets whoever that is. Um, and then, you know, they have like Randy Rosarena's in the neighborhood, Taylor Ward's in the neighborhood. So like, you know, they have some guys who are, you know, kind of alternate between like Kyle Schwarber when you, you know, you, you counter Schwarber's home run potential with the improved defense of like an Rose Arena or a Taylor Award or a, a, a Dalton Varsho. So like there, you know, you, you can uh, see who's going to play what position, but I think the White Sox did well enough. I, I think, you know, if, if you count on Jimenez being at DH and Andrew Vaughn being the left fielder, which would be the case if the White Sox did not and Andrew Benteni, like, yeah, it's, you know, Vaughn has not been able to get above water because of his defense in left field, even though he's been an okay hitter when you, when you account for the the lack of minor league experience. So I still think Benintendi makes sense and is fine. And it just, when it comes to quarter outfielders, I, I think, you know, the, the ratings could shift based on, what other teams are going to do with their left field. Um, but I think either way, the White Sox are around 10th uh, and another position, which is DH and, you know, uh, you know, helping Andrew Vaughn become a better player himself by, you know, removing the defensive responsibilities. He was never really able to handle. There's no reason to believe he could handle them. I think helps a lot. We'll get more into when we get into spring training, the individual projections for the upcoming 2023 season, uh, the projection models really like Loy Jimenez, even though he's not a very good defender. They really still believe in his bat, especially what he showed in the 80 some games that he played through the 2022 season that if he can put together, like if you give him 140 games in 2023, the numbers are very impressive and exactly what the White Sox need a 30 plus home run type of guy, someone that could drive in. 100 RBIs, which they need with Jose Abreu now leaving for the Houston Astros. Someone with the 125 plus RC plus, uh, W. I'm sorry, weighted runs created plus for fan graphs being 25% better than league average, which is really good sign. So the bat, the projection models, the computer systems really likes Eloy Jimenez, but I think everyone can agree defensively. Mm-hmm. He's not a left fielder. So I, I, I could buy it. You know, if you're trying to stack the left field position, but the other thing that tells me, because I agree with everything you said about Ben Attendee, the signing still makes sense because the White Sox need a player like Andrew Ben Attendee. He just so happens to play left field. Left field doesn't seem to be a very strong position league-wide, Jim. Like, there's no Barry Bonds <laughs> anymore in the league roaming left field, someone that's a complete player. It just Left field seems to be one of those positions where you're a really good defender with a questionable bat, or you are an excellent bat, that's probably not a good outfielder. Yeah, right field is where all those guys are. You know, Aaron Judge and Mookie Betts and yeah. Kyle Tucker. Um, you know, you know, even like Ronald Acuna Jr. can maybe be that guy. So yeah, they're all in right field, which makes sense. Like it's it's the defensive spectrum coming into play. Jordan Alvarez, though, really, really good hitter. Like just you know, he's he's got you know, he's not doesn't have Barry Bonds as bat, but like, yeah, if he just had you know, more foot speed of any kind because his arm's great. Uh, just really, he's a first baseman playing left, but at least he's playing a really small left field. Uh, he's playing in the right team, playing with the right team in the right stadium to make him a left fielder. Yeah, Dusty Baker knows what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> playing, picking his spots with Jordan Alvarez out of left field. So, hey, the White Sox have a top 10 left fielder in Major League Baseball, according to MLB Network. And it's not Andrew Benatendi. It's Aloy Jimenez. Well, we'll see how that shakes out through the 2023 season, but it, it made me smile and, and question what the heck is going on over at MLB Network. 
The last topic of this episode is something that you wrote on SoxMachine.com, Jim, after letting the dust settle a little bit with the Liam Hendricks diagnosis, which, by the way, you can go to WhiteSox.com, and a very cool thing that the White Sox are doing, they're collecting fan videos and drawings uh, to send to Liam uh, as a get well type of package. So if you're interested in doing that, go to whitesox.com. You could record up a record a video message to Liam Hendricks up to two minutes. The White Sox are collecting those and they'll be sending them to Liam Hendricks. Uh, so again, if you're interested, go to whitesox.com. Very cool thing that the White Sox are doing. But life moves on for the Chicago White Sox while Liam Hendricks has his own individual fight. And you took a look at the bullpen, life without Liam Hendricks. And I'm bringing this up from Roster Resource on Fangraphs.com. They're starting to put together the projected opening day rosters for all 30 teams. So the projected bullpen for the Chicago White Sox in 2023, Kendall Graveman, Aaron Bummer, Joe Kelly, Ronaldo Lopez, Jake Diekman, Jose Ruiz. We talked about Nick Avila. He's the Rule 5 draft from the San Francisco Giants. And Jimmy Lambert. We'll get to that in a moment. But Jim, when you wrote your column, which was very good, and again, I recommend everybody to go to SoxMachine.com to read that article after spending all that time looking at the bullpen. What was your final thoughts regarding the White Sox bullpen without Liam Hendricks? It's okay. Um, it doesn't feel okay. Like when it comes to, uh, closers, it's, it's always a very fraught conversation. You know, when you talk about, uh, you know, what it takes to close in the ninth inning and, and do you have the mentality and everybody remembers the Matt Thornton experiment in, uh, which was undermined by terrible defense in left field by Juan Pierre, but that's all it takes is like a couple bad luck outings to be like, Nope, that guy doesn't have what it takes. And then, uh, you know, you go on and on and on, uh, going back and forth between guys. But, you know, the way I look at it is you still have to, you know, the closer is basically shaped by the first eight innings, whether the closer is important, uh, whether the closer gets multiple shots, whether the closer gets easy saves or whether it's like a white knuckle approach every time, because he only has one run to work with. So to me, you know, Kendall Graveman is fine or Reynaldo Lopez is fine to start out. Uh, they might need both of them just because Graveman has issues on back-to-back days. But uh, I think to me, it comes down to Joe Kelly, uh, Aaron Bummer, Garrett Crochet in terms of like, adding the necessary bulk to this bullpen. Like it's not going to be necessarily like a top down bullpen. I think where Hendricks is a close and you work backwards from there because of Graveman's day-to-day stuff. Um, and, and Lopez just, I, I want to be sure with Lopez, given how much his stuff has fluctuated that he looks the same in 2023 as he does in 2022, because like he has not looked like the same guy two years in a row, basically. And I just want to be sure before <laughs> anointing him as a closer and like being like, all the important situations are going with him because if you like you know, if if you bank on him and he's not quite ready for it yet, like that just throws everything into an unnecessary panic. So I'd like to avoid that. So to me, it's simpler to go with Graven, who's done the job before in spurts and has done an okay job at it. Go with Lopez as the backup or as the you know alternate closer when Graven's not available, and then just uh, you you hope that they're okay, and then like you just have Joe Kelly being what he should have been last year at least for spurts of the season, which he really wasn't at any point of the season last year. Then Aaron Bummer looks like the Aaron Bummer we've seen him be. And then Garrett Crochet picks up where he left off for Tommy John surgery at some point. Like I would think like 
early June is kind of when we might see him, you know, be you know, like a real part of the mix. That would at least add enough to where like, if you have guys doing shutdown work in the sixth and seventh innings and even the eighth inning, that allows the offense to pad a lead to where like all of a sudden you're thinking about save opportunity in the sixth inning, but now it's a, instead of one run game, it's a three run game because maybe the offense can attack on a solo homer while the, the bullpen is nails. And so that'll take some stress off the closer position as well. So I think in order to address Hendricks's absence, it's going to take a, a committee approach, not like closer by committee, but just in terms of, uh, taking the stress off the position itself, like thinking of it in terms of like not such a high wire approach, not somebody who's going to need to save 40 something games himself because uh, he's the guy and they have so many save situations they need covering and they have a terrible defense that requires a strikeout guy. Like it's going to take better defense, going to take better uh, work ahead of them, going to take better offense to create save situations that are three runs instead of one run, or maybe like, take games out of safe situation territory once in a while. So uh, Graveman and Lopez can get a rest uh, and other guys can step in and take a ninth inning. So yeah, it's, it's uh messy, but you know, this is why I've stressed, you know, getting more bats and spots or work on building leads, work on uh, the first six to eight innings, because like, even if you get a closer, like, yeah, and Hendricks, this is bad news. Yeah. Like, terrible news just in terms of lymphoma, but like, what if he had a strained oblique or a hamstring or uh, you know Tommy John surgery? Like, there's always something that can knock out a pitcher for months at a time that that are not you know as heartbreaking as a lymphoma diagnosis. So that's why you know it, they would have to be on guard against something like this anyway, even if they couldn't have predicted this specific reason why he's absent. And here's hoping that like between Benintendi and Colas and Vaughn and you know, Jimenez and Anderson playing like they should. And between like, you know, um, Jose Castro, Mike Tozar and Sam Madre Cohen, like this, this whole, yeah, all those guys can make the absence of Liam Hendricks easier to take as well. And that's why a lot of, you know, a lot of this discussion is talking about like, Here's hoping that what the White Sox have done leadership-wise will be able to address uh, what has ailed them because, like, getting leads and building leads, the stuff over the first six innings has been the problem the whole time. And you know, they, we saw them spend $40 million in the bullpen, and that got them a 500 record because of everything that went wrong before Liam Hendricks could make a difference. So here's hoping that the you know players not named Liam Hendricks were in a position to make a difference and the other guys, like, Graveman and Lopez and such can be Liam Hendricks enough. Graveman and Kelly are getting paid pretty good salaries as relievers. Yes. They got to, they got, they got to earn their cash. That's, that's how I kind of view it life without Liam Hendricks. And I know there's a lot of articles that are coming out because there's a lot of fantasy baseball previews and there's going to be a lot of questions because Liam Hendricks has been such a, for those that play fantasy baseball, a great asset for teams because he's been so dependable when it comes to saves. It's probably a, as you mentioned, some type of committee closer by committee with Kendall Graveman, not able to pitch back to back days. Joe Kelly may not be able to pitch back to back days at the beginning of the season. Like you could have three straight save opportunities with three different guys. And I wonder as we have this conversation in January, Jim, like, how much rope do we give Pedro Grafal learning as a rookie manager in April and May when he has these types of situations where we can 
fairly critique, maybe with constructive criticism of which guys that he's using those high leverage situations. Like how, how long, how long should we wait? Because he is a rookie manager before everybody piles on, on his decision-making in case if it does go bad with high leverage situations. That's a good question. Just because, you know, when it came to Tony La Russa's last years in St. Louis, like he had a deal with a lot of closer uncertainty and they had some really rocky performances in the ninth inning that made them think like, Oh, is there, are they going to have a playoff caliber bullpen? But they were so good at just generating leads and leads and leads. And like, you know, if they had a bad ninth inning lost game, like they'd come back and like their lineup acted as a stopper for their bullpen. You know, like we talk about stoppers in the rotation, like uh, uh, Dylan Cease will make up for like a, a shaky back in the rotation. If he comes with the start, well, the lineup can make up for a, a rocky bullpen that you know, it, you might not like seeing Kendall Graveman take the ball, but uh, if you keep giving them leads, like, chances are it's going to work because it's hard to score a run in major league baseball in, in one inning. Like it's just, uh, that's why they have the extra innings rule, um, to help you know, bring an end to ball games because you can't count on a run being scored. So the odds are in the white Sox favor, no matter what, if they keep providing leads, but when it comes to just the, uh, you know, the shape of the bullpen, like we've seen La Russa, like just have problems, like needing a couple months to figure out who is going to be the best reliever available. Uh, and that's why like, to have Griffal here and to have him have to be good or have to be like, okay. Yeah. I, I think the you know, managers generally fall into like, there are a few difference makers, probably a lot of below average ones and a lot that are just okay. And are, are dependent on the situation might manage some teams better than others, but like they need them to be okay and like proactive. And you know, the, I know it's touchy being proactive in the bullpen because if you change closers too often, you come off as like creating a panic yourself. So it's probably going to be more about like how he provides messaging for the decision he makes versus the decisions he makes himself. If there are no obvious answers, because that I think creates a problem where like, you know, we saw La Russa, like, you know, sometimes the decision-making could have been defensible if he like understood the rules, like <laughs> the answers he gave after the game were bad. Like, you know, like, you know, if you weren't sure, like if he knew the rules or, you know, sometimes it seemed like he didn't know how many outs there were like, a couple of games where like he cited the wrong number of outs and seemed like more than a verbal slip up. So like it, it comes down to, I think managers, when it comes to situations like these, where you may not have a closer right away, just trying to keep a steady hand and, and, you know, having a reason for why you stick with a guy and having a reason why you go to somebody else and being very disciplined about how you express those changes without making it look like you're just guessing and hoping something sticks. One of the early things to pay attention to during the 2023 season, but again, go to socksmachine.com, read Jim's column about the state of the White Sox bullpen as we have a follow-up discussion on that partic particular topic with Liam Hendricks now fighting cancer and not being available for the White Sox to start the 2023 season. It's going to have to be a team effort uh, to replace his production. And we'll see even like the new face that we saw that surprised us. Maybe Jimmy Lambert could be a factor for the White Sox bullpen. As you mentioned, Garrett Crochet, we'll see him back with the White Sox at some point in the 2023 season. No, he's not going to be a starting pitcher with the White Sox uh, in 2023. Uh, maybe Davis Martin or somebody else in the minor league system this year could help out with the White Sox bullpen. But Step one, have a lead to save 
is a great strategy, Jim. <laughs> yes. Can't stress that enough. Need leaves for saves. Yes. Or you're asking the bullpen to keep it close. It's still going to be on the offense to decide on just how successful the 2023 season will be for the Chicago White Sox. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. We do put up the podcast on our YouTube channel, including some video highlights of the podcast at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. We're up to 965 YouTube subscribers. So thank you to all the new subscribers to the channel. We are just a Frank Thomas number away from getting to the thousand milestone, which would help us greatly. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so at youtube.com slash socks machine. And as I mentioned earlier, you can follow us on Twitter at socks machine. You can follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and would like to get more, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socks machine. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, which I've already started the groundwork for our 2023 Major League Baseball draft coverage as college baseball season starts in a month. And all of our content during the college baseball and prep showcase and prep seasons leading up to the 2023 Major League Baseball draft, that's all Patreon exclusive content. So if you love the MLB draft and you want to learn more about the upcoming prospects, patreon.com slash socks machine is where you can get that information on socksmachine.com. And also Jim, you have the PO socks mailbag coming up. Yes. And that'll be uh, coming up, I believe on Thursday afternoon, like we'll have the podcast in the morning. And I think a PO socks will be going live later in the day. So that's just a couple examples of the exclusive content that our Patreon supporters receive. They also get ad free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag in the Sox Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, and with it being January still, you can save with an annual subscription to take care of the entire 2023 calendar year. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.